episode 125, Bewitched. I'm assistant curator Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a January 26th, 2011 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. You just gotta ignite the light and let it shine. Just At the dawn of the 20th century, L. Frank Baum wrote the first American fairy tale, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. In the story, a young Kansas girl battles an evil witch. She's not your average witch, though. She's the Wicked Witch of the West, and she's been freaking kids out for over a century. Join Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and me as we examine an illustration of perhaps the most feared fictional villain in American history. Was the Wicked Witch really evil or just misunderstood? It's here. Kansas Day 2011 has arrived. In three days, we kick off a year-long celebration of the state's 150th anniversary. To commemorate the event, the Kansas Historical Society will open the exhibit 150 Things I Love About Kansas. We talk to the Society's education specialists to learn about the list of 150. Did your favorite Kansas thing make the list? Finally, in Six Degrees of William Allen White, we connect a small-town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to the Burj Dubai, the tallest man-made structure in the world. Located in the Middle East, the Burj Dubai is the ultimate expression of oil power and is literally over the top. Did White have a paralyzing fear of tall buildings that forced him to live in Emporia? But first, bewitched. Good morning, Michaela. Hello, Merle. Today, we are looking at a drawing mm-hmm. um, done by author Gregory Maguire. Right. The drawing depicts a green-skinned witch in a black dress and a pointed hat. Uh, it's just on a normal piece of paper. kind of almost looks like it was done with colored pencil. It's a very simple drawing. Right. Uh, this witch is better known by her, by her proper name, the Wicked Witch of the West. Though created in the early 20th century, the artist McGuire gave this particular witch a new twist. And we'll get to that in a minute, but first I want to establish a little background about witches and the Wicked Witch of the West. Okay. Nikayla, in broad terms, because you could talk about this forever, but in broad (laughs) terms, uh, what is a witch? Well, witches are people, usually women, who are thought to have supernatural or magical powers that they use to inflict harm on other people and their property. So she can make people or animals sick, she can cause bad luck, or she can even cause death, which makes her super scary. 
Nasty. Yeah, and historically, witches date back, you know, as far as recorded history, they can find references to witches and witchcraft. But the way we think of it nowadays comes primarily from a European tradition of trying to explain why bad things happen. Um, people tended to look for people in their community who were the other, and that would be the person that they blame bad things on. Mm-hmm. So if something happened that they couldn't explain any other way, like crops were not successful or animals were dying off, Clearly, it was the witch's fault. Right. It was the old hag's fault. Right. Because she was different. You know, uh-huh. she was not like everybody else. In America, we only really had one big witch hunt um, in Salem, Massachusetts. That was a real, those were real witches, right? Um, yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, people <laughs> thought they were real. Right. They were real witches in the sense that witches in Europe were real witches. The it's same as type real of as a witch hunt. is going to get. Yeah, exactly. Um, many stories came from this, like Arthur Miller's The Crucible, which is probably one of the more famous ones. Um but witches also tend to pop up a lot in American children's literature and films. Um, everybody knows Harry Potter. That's British. It's very popular here in, in the United States. Um, it's got witchcraft in it. And Disney, every other villain, really? is, a, is a witch. Disney has run amok with the witch. Yeah. But we also seem to like good witches, too, like Samantha from Bewitched. That's tr- true. Yeah. We yeah. like a good witch. So in 1900, uh, L. Frank Baum published The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Uh, which takes a Kansas girl on an adventure to the land of Oz. And Oz is a magical place, has several witches, mm-hmm. but one one witch reigns supreme, or at least upon the arrival of Dorothy, <laughs> uh, reigns supreme. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Bombs, Wicked Witch of the West? Well, you're right that the land of Oz has a mix of both good witches and bad witches. And, of course, we know the good witch of the north and Glinda the good witch of the south. She's from the south in the book. Are, are the good witches, and the bad witches are the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wicked Witch of the East. Uh-huh. And, of course, the Wicked Witch of the East is the one that's killed when Dorothy's house lands in Oz. Um, the Wizard of Oz fears both of them because of their great powers, and he doesn't think he can overpower the Wicked Witches, so that's why he's, he's so afraid of their powers. Um, Bomb's Wicked Witch isn't the Wicked Witch we imagine from the 1939 film of The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, she isn't green, and she doesn't ride around on a broom. In fact, she carries an umbrella. Um, she's more gnome-like. And <laughs> she does. In the illustrations, the Dinslow illustrations mm-hmm. from the original book, there's you know pictures of her, right. and she does look exactly like a gnome. She does. She's... She's kind of small and paunched, and she wears an eye patch. She's got three braids sticking out of her yeah. hair. She, kind she of a does cross wear, between a dunce and a pirate. Right. Yeah, a little dunce pirate. She and does a wear a seriously pointy hat, though. Like, her pointy hat makes makes Margaret Hamilton's in the movie not look like a pointy hat. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the Wicked Witch is the tyrannical ruler of the Winky Country. So we don't know exactly what she did that was bad. We're just kind of told. So, of course, some people claim that Baum's story was an allegory, a populist allegory. Uh, you know, Baum's not here to confirm or deny that, but we'll go ahead and pretend that it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, in Baum's tradition in his book, everything represented something, right? Like the scarecrow was the farmer, and mm-hmm. tornado was kind of revolution, and Dorothy was the everyman. Mm-hmm. What did the Wicked Witch of the West represent? She, of course, represented the banker. J.D. Rockefeller. I love that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right. Like <laughs> she was the corrupting money from the West, and the West yeah. being Cleveland or you know yeah, wherever Cleveland. Rockefeller was from, Cleveland. Yeah. That was the West, kind of the West in the 1900. Yeah, like imagine them side by side and like morph into the <laughs> witch. Interesting. It's, it's funny. Yeah. 
Well, in 1939, MGM released the film adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, starring a young Judy Garland as Dorothy and Margaret Hamilton as Wicked Witch of the West. The film was huge when it was released, and mm-hmm. it still remains a huge cultural phenomenon today. Yes. In particular, Margaret Hamilton's portrayal of The Wicked Witch of the West has terrorized children <laughs> for years. How did uh-huh. America react to Hamilton's Wicked Witch of the West? Uh, they were scared. They were very, very scared. Um, her Wicked Witch has actually become like a standard of evil right. for most people. When right. you say evil, she's, you know, Hitler and the Hitler, Wicked Witch of the West. Darth Vader and the Wicked Witch <laughs> yeah. of the West. Those are the people that come to mind. And Hamilton often told stories after the picture was made about how people received her. And generally, they wanted her to do that cackling laugh that she did in the movie. But when she did it, they were freaked out. Like, she could see the fear on their face. And she actually worried about the effect her role had on children. And she even appeared on an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to show how the makeup was applied and she became the witch, how Uh the witch wasn't a real person. Because Margaret Hamilton, kindergarten teacher, right? Yeah, that got she into loved acting. children, and she mm-hmm. actually did a lot of work for children's charities. How? What's the What's the biggest difference between Bond's Wicked Witch of the West and Margaret Hamilton's Witch, Wicked Witch of the West? I think probably green skin. She's taller. She's more womanly than she is more womanly. She's not a gnome. Witch. She's not she's a, a gnome. Tight fitting corseted yeah, dress. She's kind of kind of a proper Victorian lady. If yes. you think of her with a pointy hat <laughs> and a broom. In 1995, Gregory Maguire wrote a reboot or a, or a retcon of The Wizard of Oz entitled Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. How is Maguire's version of The Wicked Witch of the West different from the others? Well, first of all, Maguire really fleshes out the story of The Wicked Witch. In Baum's book, he didn't even give her a name. We don't know anything about her background. And the whole purpose of Maguire's book is to tell the backstory of the Wicked Witch, how she became the Wicked Witch. Um, Maguire calls her Alphaba and uses her, uh, gives us her whole backstory from her birth until her death. And from this, we learn that Alphaba was really just misunderstood. She was really a revolutionary fighting for animal rights. And she only gets the reputation of being evil because the wizard is threatened by her and tells people that she's evil. And so some of her plans go a bit awry, and they are misinterpreted, and she gets the rap for being a bad person. Mm-hmm. So Maguire's witch, not wicked, just misunderstood. Right. In fact, uh, Maguire plays with the concepts of good and evil, right. flips them around a little bit. In his story, the Wicked Witch of the West may not be bad, mm-hmm. and Glinda, the good witch, may not, may be, not be good. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating tale. It is. McGuire explored preconceived notions of good and bad and stereotypes. Have we confused other villains like we confused the Wicked Witch of the West? Nikayla, I'll give you the villain, and you tell me if they are evil or misunderstood. Okay. All right. We'll All start right. out with severely evil villain or severe villain, Gargamel, who was uh, kind of a wizard, uh, and he was the, kind of the primary antagonist of the Good Smurfs. Right. Well, I'm trying. I'm try- thinking about this in the vein of Wicked. You know, like how could his actions have been misinterpreted? Uh-huh. And part of me says he's flat out evil because really he just wanted to kill Smurfs. But on the other hand, he also created Smurfs. Like he created Smurfettes. Right. And at times he did come to their rescue, which makes you wonder why. I think I because really he lacked why. motivation. I think he was evil. Yeah. Yeah. He really didn't have a good reason to kill the Smurfs. Uh. 
I think he was evil um, for one of the reasons that you actually considered him good. I think he was evil because he introduced the only female into an all-male population. Uh, that's just, what? That's, a, that's it's kind of a sadistical form of psychological warfare. Just, I see. Just, so it kind of pitted the Smurfs against each exactly. other. Exactly. And that was exactly why he did it. Uh, that's really twisted. Yeah. Really yeah. twisted. Yeah. All right. Next villain, Cruella de Vil. Uh, she's from a 1950s, 1956 children's novel, later Disney movie. Mm-hmm. 101 Dalmatians. Uh-huh. You know I love puppies. <laughs> and I think sure, sure. I think anybody who wants to kill puppies and turn them into a coat, that's straight up evil. There's no excuse for that. I mean, she she had, no <laughs> she had other coats made out of animals, and that doesn't make her nice. But puppies, I mean, come on. But that's when they're that's when they're first the softest. Yeah, and I guess she was cold all the time. I mean, right. maybe she should have just eaten something. Right. She was incredibly scrawny. I'm going to say misunderstood because really, Cruella, she had a severe cardio cardiovascular disorder that made her cold all the time. She had to find a way to warm herself. But puppies, synthetic furs won't do it. You got to go with real furs. Oh, so yeah. she had these. I think it is weird. That she's wearing dog hair. Yeah, I don't know if that ranks. Can you the imagine what she smelled hairs. like when she was like wet in the rain? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> All right, next villain is the last character, last villain, Lex mm-hmm. Luthor. Evil or misunderstood? I think Lex Luthor is probably misunderstood because I agree. Because really, what kind of set him off was when he had that lab accident with Superman and he lost his hair. Maybe if he kept his hair, he would have been a perfectly nice guy. He could have been Superman's sidekick. All right, Nikayla. Well, thanks for telling me about uh, Mr. McGuire's illustration of the Wicked Witch of the West. Sure. While the 1939 MGM film of The Wizard of Oz is the most famous, it wasn't the first adaptation of the famous book. The novel was published in 1900, and just two years later, a musical play based on the story premiered in Chicago. It later moved to Broadway, where it played for almost two years. This Broadway production is the subject of today's Kansas Quiz. Do you know what famous Kansan starred as a scarecrow in this production? Bluebirds fly. 2011 is the sesquicentennial year for Kansas. 150 years ago, in 1861, Kansas became the 34th state in the Union. To commemorate the anniversary, the Historical Society will open the exhibit 150 Things I Love About Kansas. Today, we talk to museum educators Mary Madden and Abby Perone who selected 150 artifacts, quotes, and images that highlight Kansas history. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Merle. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good morning, Abby. Hi. Um, 150 things I love about Kansas. Uh, We're compiling a list. Um, That's a pretty broad concept, 150 things I love about Kansas. Mary, uh, what's, what's kind of the function of this list? We came up with the title for the exhibit, and we figured people would be curious to know what the 150 things were, why we chose the uh, the title, and then are there 150 things. Um, the 150 things name is really a playoff that this is the sesquicentennial mm-hmm. as well. Abby, what were the criteria for selecting items on the list, and what are some examples of listed items? Well, for selecting items for this list, we looked at a couple of a couple of criteria. First, 
our unique collection items, things that we have that nobody else really has. Um, this is pieces like Eisenhower's flight jacket, which is in the permanent gallery. Mm-hmm. Also, the doors to the state house that got smashed during the legislative conflict. Um, so those are unique collection items. Uh, things that are representational of different people, different time periods, topics out of Kansas's history. I mean, we've got everything from artifacts that we found during archeo- archaeological digs to Wizzo the Clown's suitcase on this list. So right. that we've got a list that encompasses all of that, I think, is pretty great. And finally, iconic images and objects that people see and they recognize as being Kansan. So when people think of Kansas, they think of a few things. They think of wheat, they think of tornadoes, they think of sunflowers, and they think of the Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. So these topics in the new exhibit are, we explore these topics, and we've got examples like a first edition version of the wonderful Wizard of Oz on display. And we've got artwork created out of stalks of wheat. Um, do they um, do they have to be artifacts? No, actually, we've got as part of our list. Um, we have a number of quotes that people hear and they think of as Kansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got "There's no place like home" as one mm-hmm. of our one of our things we lo- love about Kansas. So it's more than just artifacts on display. Abby, how can the public access this list, and what should they do with it when they have it? Uh, They can get it a couple of ways. They can pick up a hard copy if they come to the museum. If you're visiting the museum, you can take that hard copy around with you and see if you can find all of all 150 things. You can really challenge yourself and spend hours and hours at the museum and right. find all 150 Or you may have things. to come back in multiple visits exactly. to find all 150 exactly. things. If you can't come to the museum or if you are planning on coming to the museum, you can get this list online on our website. You can download it. You can share it with your friends. You can put it on your Facebook page and think about all of these ways that we are celebrating Kansas. And, you know, it might inspire you to think about ways that you celebrate this state and Mm -hmm. this anniversary. Mary, what are the pitfalls of making a list like this? Well, whenever you put a list together, someone's going to say, but you didn't include (laughs) And we are trying to be as um, overarching as possible, but we will undoubtedly hear that and we will encourage people to add that to our list and their lists and uh um okay so now that we've talked a little bit about the list uh or or what what was the criteria for the list i want to get to the nuts and bolts and find out what were your favorite items on the list because i will tell you that's half the fun is going over the list and trying to pick what's your favorite Uh, So, Abby, if you want to tell me your two personal favorites and tell me why. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were coming up with this list, the curators gave me a hard time because I really like the kitschy objects in the collection. And every time I'd say, oh, we can't cut that, we can't cut that, they'd, you know, they'd laugh a little bit and say, oh, Abby... And when you say kitschy, what are you talking about specifically? Well, when I think of this, of the kitschy objects in our collection, I'm really thinking about um, a lot of stuff that we collected during the Kansas Centennial. Right. And some of my favorite things, one of my favorite things, I'm going to say, are the salt and pepper (laughs) shakers in the shape of wheat shocks. And, you know, I saw those and I was like, those are awesome. Because you know that everybody who went to the Centennial Mm -hmm. in in 1961, they brought 
brought home something like these salt and pepper shakers Mm -hmm. and those salt and pepper shakers sat around in their house and whenever they saw them they thought about kansas they thought about the centennial and it is nice because i mean there's when you talk about kitschy stuff there's salt and pepper shakers there's plates Mm -hmm. with pictures of the centennial there's you know ashtrays ashtrays keychains all that kind of stuff cowboy hats i mean Mm -hmm. it We've got everything. Yeah, and it's nice. I mean, it's fun because it, it references that uh, that 1961 um, centennial, which is kind of you know the like the beautiful version of Kansas history. You know, where it's where it's like uh, uh, egalitarian pioneers mm-hmm. out on trying to make a special, and not that you know that's a completely the romanticized wrong. version. Yes. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> which is a feel good version a little bit, but uh, so I it's so it's we've learned fun. something. In the last 50 years. Yes. Right. About what really is Kansas history. Yes. Right. It's much more complex than that and much mm-hmm. more... Uh, Diverse. Yes. It's not just all about a man riding a buffalo down the street <laughs> in the middle of a Kansas Day parade. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Which is one of the objects or the <laughs> photos that I really like. It's the man riding the buffalo down the street. All right. So that was your first, uh, mm-hmm. was your first item from the list. What was your second? My second item is uh, a piece that has been on exhibit in the permanent gallery for quite a while now, and it's the Admit Me Free flag from the Bleeding Kansas and the Civil War section of the gallery. So these are these are pro, uh, or these are um, uh, anti-slavery forces made this flag mm-hmm. when... when uh... Yeah, when right, right before Kansas became a state in 1861, there was a lot of conflict going on in Kansas territory about if Kansas would become a free state or if the state would permit slavery. I think it's a really fascinating part of Kansas's history, and this flag is a great representation of yeah. that struggle. All right, Mary, what uh, what were your two favorite items? Well, my favorite object in the whole museum, and I, I bore children with this on a regular <laughs> basis, is John Brown's Pike. Okay. Um, it was, that's pretty phenomenal. That's, that's, <laughs> that's probably one of the big hitters in our collection, is, is well, John Brown's Pike. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he had a thousand of these made to arm the slaves for the slave revolt that he was to start at Harper's Ferry and that we have two of them and one's on display and every time I walk by it I just think of that turning point in history what had happened if he had succeeded how strong he felt about uh, as an abolitionist uh, willing to die for freedom and abolishment of slavery Mm -hmm. and it's just I just it just gives me tingles. <laughs> okay, so your second one? I would like to say the artwork that we're putting on display. Yeah. I am very impressed with Kansas artists, past and present, and the way they have captured the essence of what Kansas is. Kansas is beautiful with the, we have the most beautiful skies, sunsets in the whole world. Well, I'll tell you my. Uh, I'm 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 going to mention two of my two of the ones that I like a lot in the collection in this on the list is one is the um, the first known photograph of a tornado. Yeah, way cool. Which is, I mean, that's just amazing, and and um, you know, it's it's a, tor- it's a tornado basically descending a house, and it's it's a confluence. That whole picture is like a confluence of so many concepts with photography and modern mm-hmm. technology, and you know. Uh, but yet it's dealing with this natural force that no one can control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's amazing. And then I also like the bottle of turkey red wheat. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was um, theoretically brought over by the Mennonites. Is this your rural background coming out? <laughs> no, I just think I think we I think uh, Kansas as kind of a, uh, a wheat production state or one of the top wheat production states. That's what kind of makes us like economically unique is mm-hmm. this concept of wheat production. Do you notice here that we've all come up with six different things of what we think are the 150 mm-hmm. things we love about Kansas. So going back to that initial question, have we covered <laughs> them all? I think it, yeah, right. it's answered itself here. People will bring in all kinds of ideas, yeah. and, and we'll have an opportunity in the gallery for them to add their ideas because we do want to know. It's a great opportunity to, to just think about what, what you love about Kansas yeah. and to share it with us. I, oh, someday I wish upon a star I'm Nikayla Zimmerman, and the answer to today's Kansas quiz is Fred Stone. Though born in Colorado, Stone spent most of his childhood in Kansas. While living in Wellington, he was inspired by a tightrope walker to become an entertainer. Stone's skill and popularity as an acrobat and comedian eventually landed him the role of the scarecrow in the play The Wizard of Oz, where he also met his wife. The couple had three daughters, the oldest named Dorothy, perhaps in honor of a little girl from Kansas. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me this week is curator Laurel Fritsch. Hello. And registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hi. This week we connect the small town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, Uh, to the Burj Dubai, the world's tallest man-made structure. Laurel, you want to give us a little background on the Burj Dubai? I I will. Uh, The Burj Khalifa is its current name. It was originally called the Burj Dubai when it was being constructed, but once it was actually finished, um, they decided to name it the Burj Khalifa in honor of the United Arab Emirates president, um, Khalifa bin Zayed al-Ziyan. I'm sorry, Nyan. Well, you know, pretty close. Um, in any case... It was an honest attempt. It was a, it was a good attempt, yeah. Um, it is located in the very small but wealthy city-state of Dubai. And Dubai is located on the Arabian Peninsula, Peninsula and it's one of the city-states that make up the United Arab Emirates. And uh, Dubai gained its wealth originally as a trade post, but now its economy is primarily based on oil. Um, so... In an attempt to sort of diversify that economy, Dubai has been really trying to encourage tourism. And one result of those efforts is the construction of the world's tallest man-made structure, the Burj Khalif Tower, in 2010. And it is larger than the tallest building in the United States, which is the Sears Tower, by almost 900 feet. So it's fairly considerable. It's substantially taller. It is substantially And the Sears Tower is pretty darn tall. It is, definitely. Like it's, I've been to the top of it, and it's creepy to be at the top of a building as tall as the Sears Tower. I can't imagine then going 900 feet up from there. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, um, the same company that designed the Sears Tower also made the Khalifa Tower, which is kind of interesting. Because Dubai is located in the Arabian Desert, water conservation is always a concern. So condensation from the tower's cooling system is used to water the building's grounds, which include, get this, a fountain, which is pretty similar to the Bellagio Hotel fountain and lake in Las Vegas, 
and a 27-acre park. Um, and the tower is also covered with a special aluminum skin designed to withstand the extreme heat of Dubai, which reaches an average high of 106 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer. That's the average. I mean, that's... That's better be a good air conditioning system. (laughs) I'll I'll say. Well, with the construction of the Burj Khalifa Tower, the title of the world's tallest building ended up returning to the Middle East, whose Giza pyramids once held the title for centuries. I'm sure that they are very happy to have that title back. Indeed. Uh, Nikayla, I believe you have actually found a way to connect William Allen White to this... uh, giant tower in the middle of the Arabian Peninsula. I have. Well, the Burj Khalifa, or the Burj Dubai, was designed by Chicago-based architecture and engineering firm Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, or SOM. Some, oh, that's the, uh, the acronym, <laughs> SOM. Acronym, yes. They have designed some of the most famous buildings constructed over the past 75 years, including the Sears, now Willis Tower. And Don't call it Willis Tower. It's Sears. I know, it's it's Sears. Sears Tower. Come on. The Sears Tower was originally built to consolidate the offices of Sears Roebuck and Company, which was founded oh, by Sears and Roebuck. Yeah. Well, Roebuck left the Sears Roebuck Company a few years after it began, and Sears took on a new partner, a clothier named Julius Rosenwald. Well, Rosenwald was friends with many social activists, and he himself was a great philanthropist. Um, and he sat on the board of trustees of the Tuskegee Institute. Mm-hmm. And one of his close friends was Booker T. Washington. All right. Well, in 1896, Booker T. Washington attended a dinner held in Zanesville, Ohio, to celebrate the election of William McKinley as president. And Washington sat by William Allen White. And William Allen White may have moved his place setting so he could sit by Booker T. Washington. Wow. Nice. Me and a little sly there. Yeah. I have to say, I would do that, though, to sit next to Booker T. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely done, Nikayla. Laurel, you. Uh, you want to issue the challenge for our next episode? Sure. Next, we're going to make the logical leap from the tallest building in the world to the tallest building in Kansas. So in two weeks, we are going to connect William Allen White to the Epic Center in Wichita, Kansas. It was built in the 1980s, and it stands at 325 feet, and it would take about eight Epic Centers to equal one Burj Dubai. Right, I guess they're not quite epic enough. <laughs> it is not no. quite epic. <laughs> All right, so come back when we connect William Alawite to the epic to the epic center. Did Wichita developers forever shatter the notion of a flat Kansas? I don't know. You think they did it? Probably not. I didn't even. I never really heard of the epic center. <laughs> All right, find out in two weeks. You just gotta ignite the light and live it shine. That concludes episode 125, Bewitched. If you would like to see images of Gregory Maguire's misunderstood witch, go to our website, kshs.org. And to see the list of 150, you can also go to our website. Since the American Bicentennial in 1976, Growing a beard has become a popular practice for commemorating a significant historical event. Luckily, women took to wearing prairie dresses and bonnets. Find out if Governor Sam Brownback grew a beard for Kansas's 150th celebration at the Capitol in Topeka on Friday, January 28th at 10 a.m. broadcast live on KTWU local public television. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, 
or even about the artifacts discussed on our podcast, drop us a line, or better yet, become our friend on Facebook and receive daily tidbits on the mind-blowing history of Kansas. In the next episode, curator Blair Tarr and I examine a sofa couch used in McLeod, Kansas. The Abernathy Brothers Furniture Company in Leavenworth, Kansas, manufactured this couch in the early 20th century. Cheap and well-built, Abernathy Furniture slowly but surely became the furniture of choice on the Kansas frontier. Find out what Abernathy did right and what all others did wrong. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Oh,